right. Boy, he does love us so. Amen. And uh, <clears throat> I hope that you know that tonight. We're glad to be with you, glad to be in your homes and look upon your faces tonight. And those of you that aren't here, we appreciate you listening in. A lot of places you could go, a lot of other things you could be doing, but you've chosen to visit with us, and we're grateful for that. I'd like you to turn in your Bible tonight to the book of Psalms, Psalm 11. It's the text for which uh, this series on strengthening our homes, it's what we've used, and uh, we want to continue on down that path tonight. If I had to put a title on tonight's message, it would be Marriage as It Was Meant to Be. Marriage as It Was Meant to Be. You know, one of the, uh, in the book of Hebrews, uh, the scripture speaks about marriage as being holy and honorable. And, uh, and I submit to you, based upon things that I've read in the Word of God, that your marriage is supposed to be enjoyable, as it was meant to be. And, uh, and it ought not to be a fuss fight. You know, uh, when uh, I've looked up different definitions about marriage, and some of them were not very funny, and... Uh, some of them were more humorous than others, but I think the best definition is it, it was said of a fellow that uh, his definition of marriage was a person who believes the room is too warm spends the rest of their life waking up next to a person who believes that the room is too cold. And, uh, and, that, and that is how life is a lot of times. When you have two people to, that come together from different backgrounds and different rearing, different cultures... Uh, you can expect that there are going to be differences, amen? And so, but let's look in this passage. Uh, Psalm 11, look in verse 3, it says, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And what I asked you all to do last week, if you recall, was to take a little look at your marriage, be honest, kind of do a, just like how we had to do around here, a risk assessment. That's what the insurance companies want you to do. They, they want you to find out if there are any areas that need shoring up, any part of the, of your campus that needs special attention, anything about your building that might be a safety hazard or whatever. They just want you to do an honest appraisal uh, about your, about your facilities. And so what I asked you all to do last week was to take an honest look at your home, at your marriage, and, uh, and just be true to yourself, be honest with yourself and with God about the condition of your marriage. And, uh, and so tonight, I, I want to look at something, uh, the next in the, in the series, if you will, or the next in the steps, is that what your marriage was meant to be, what it was meant to be. And, uh, and so certainly, if we, uh, and while you, I'd like you to turn to Matthew 19 with me, please. And while you're turning, and certainly if you think about it, God intended it for it to be a blessed thing. He said, the man that obtains a wife has obtained a good thing, and that a prudent wife is from the Lord. And so uh, God made you, fellas, God made you and help that it was to be meat for you, just as he brought Eve unto Adam, so too God, if you will, brought you your wife, brought you your young lady, and uh, for you to be married and spend the rest of your days with her. Matthew chapter 19, and I want to read you some verses here, beginning in, let's look in verse 3. It says, that Matthew 19, and I thank you now for turning, Matthew 19 verse 3 said, The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him. You see, whenever they came to church, they didn't come for a blessing. They came to, uh, 
They came to do a blistering, if you will. They weren't really interested in the Word of God, not in the things of God. They were looking for some way to trap our Savior, some way to catch Him in His words or whatever, or to condemn others. But the Pharisees also came unto Him, tempting Him and saying unto Him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Now that phrase, putting away, that was how they, that was the phraseology, if you will. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any old reason? And, uh, I mean, that's why they asked him silly questions. If a man was married and he died and his wife then married his brother and he died and then she married the other brother and he died. I mean, they just gave all these hypotheticals. Whose wife is she going to be in heaven with all? I mean, <laughs> good night. And the Lord had to tell him, hey, listen, don't you understand? You're not going to be given in marriage there. You're going to be like the angels. Amen. Marriage was intended for here on earth. And, uh, and you say, well, you know, man, they have a marriage that's made in heaven. And I submit to you, they're made right here by the choices people make, by the decisions that people make. And, uh, and so, and the way that they conduct themselves. And so let's continue reading here. Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, to divorce his wife for every cause? And he answered them, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? He could have said, haven't you been told? He could have said, haven't you heard? Haven't you been listening? I mean, but he didn't do that. He said, haven't you read? And so it's here within the confines of the Word of God that we're going to find out really about the marriage that God intended for you to have and to enjoy. It's here within the Word of God. And it provides the foundation, if you will, for a good marriage, a solid marriage, an enjoyable one. Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. So if you're going to have the marriage, if you're going to enjoy a marriage and have a marriage as it was meant to be, there are some things that you need to understand. Number one, you need to understand that your marriage is a covenant. It is a covenant that you and your wife have made before God and those witnesses that were assembled together. By definition, a covenant is a solemn agreement between two parties, at least two parties, and it's made binding, if you will, by some sort of oath. And I submit to you, that's the vows that you made. You do remember those, don't you? Some of the vows that you made to love, honor, and cherish, those things for which you said, I will, and, and then, then when you said, I do, when you took her by the right hand, him by the right hand, placed those rings and so forth. And so it is, it is made binding by some sort of oath, if you will. And what is mutually agreed upon is usually the future conduct of all parties concerned. What is mutually agreed upon is a part of the future conduct of those two parties together. It is a covenant that you have made with that, with that other person. And that covenant that was made before God and those witnesses is both exclusive and inclusive at the same time. The covenant that you make together, let's talk about exclusive, means that it is between you and your wife. It is between you and your husband. It's not made between you and the in-laws or you and your parents or whatever. It's made between you and your wife and with God. The latter part of that passage that we just read said, Whatsoever therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. There is the binder, if you will, the binding to it, 
in that oath that you made, in those vows that you gave, and it is exclusive. That means it separates you from every other couple, every other man or woman on the planet. And that you and your wife, you and your husband now establish your own traditions. You establish and you make some of your own memories. And you go and establish your own home. Part of that passage there that we read is about leaving and cleaving. And that's what you're to do. Therefore shall a man leave father and mother and cleave unto his wife. And they twain become one flesh. You are leaving and cleaving. It's an activity that takes place in the establishment of your home and the fulfillment of your covenant. It wasn't intended that you... And I understand that things are temporary like that sometimes. You get married and then move in. I submit to you that, that brethren, you ought to have a house to go to. Listen, Adam had a job before he married Eve. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. He had a, he had a job. He had a place to stay. All right? Before, before they got married. And so doing the first things first, that's why the book of Proverbs says you ought to go and make it fit for yourself, go in the country and do that, and then come back and establish your house. And so if you're contemplating marriage, you're thinking about it, there ought to be some things in place. Because girls, you don't want to be married to a loser. The L word, you don't want to do that. Listen, if you don't believe that's possible, just go to the book, of, go to the book I think it's in 2 Samuel, and read about, read about, uh, about Abigail and Nabal. Married to a loser. That's a great title. Married to a loser. And you don't want that, ladies. Considering this is going to be a covenant you're going to make for the rest of your life. If you understand that going in, marriage as it was meant to be is meant to be permanent in this life. Not in the next. We're not Mormons. We don't believe that you're going to be eternally pregnant, populating the rest of the planet, and all the, according to Carl Sagan, the billions and billions of stars that are out there. All right? No, God intended one man, one woman for life. For life. All right? So it is a covenant. I said it's also inclusive. It's just the two of you. It includes just the two of you. It is both exclusive and inclusive. And that's why I say you ought not to let a job or a pet or a person or a child or a hobby or anything else come between you and your spouse. Because your relationship that you share with them only comes second to the relationship that you share with your heavenly Father. It is the greatest relationship outside of your relationship with Jesus Christ is your home, is your marriage. And that's how God intended it to be, the marriage as it was meant to be. It is a covenant, and you have to realize that. And that's the reason why, you know, I, I, I suspect before you buy a car or you entered into buying a house, you sort, of count, you, you sort of contemplated that. Didn't the Lord Jesus say before you go to war, you better what? Count the cost? You need to do that before you decide to get married. That's why you don't enter into it carelessly or flippantly because it is a covenant. And God holds you accountable for that which you have said with your words. And so it shouldn't be lightly entered into. It's something that you really got to pray about, something you got to contemplate, something you got to think about. But it is that covenant. It is inclusive. It includes just the two of you to the exclusion of everybody else. When you wear that ring, what does it say? It says, I'm not for sale and I'm not looking. I belong to someone else. I'm already spoken for. And, uh, and so... You, you need to be mindful of that before you enter into it. If you're there, man, realize, listen, this is the person I said I wanted to spend the rest of my life with, and, uh, and really before you know it, it'll be over. 
Life really is like a vapor. It appeareth for a little while and then vanisheth away. It is but a vapor. But not only is it a covenant, but you need to understand that our marriage requires cultivation. I want you to go to the book of Ecclesiastes with me. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. I think these are going to be two interesting passages that we look at. A marriage requires cultivation. What, what, what are you talking about, Brother Ed? Well, you know, I, I'm going to give you some things here, but it does require cultivating. When you cultivate, I, 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 was thinking about, I was thinking about a garden. I was thinking about a field. You know, good marriages just don't happen. Just like, just like kids, I think, that grow up to glorify God and honor their parents. I don't think they just happen. I think their parents make an investment in them. I think there's some preparation, some planning and so forth that goes in. A lot of prayer that goes into, that, into those young people. But I want you to look in the book of Ecclesiastes. Job, Psalm, Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes. I'm trying to get there. Look in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 with me. And look in verse 9. Notice this passage. It requires cultivation. It says, Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity, which he, that's God, hath given thee under the sun all the days of thy vanity. For this is thy portion in this life and in thy labor which thou takest under the sun. God wants you to live joyfully with the wife of your youth. But that requires some cultivation in your marriage. So look now in Ecclesiastes. Look in chapter 7 with me. Just turn back a page and look in verse 26. When when we get to heaven, I'm going to ask Solomon this question. What happened here? Ecclesiastes chapter 7, look at verse 26. He said, And I find more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and her hands as bands. Whoso pleaseth God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be taken by her. I mean, what happened there? Do you need to read that again? He said he finds it worse, more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets. I don't know. I just know this about Solomon. He let other women into his life. He didn't stay one man, one woman. Part of his failure, what they do? They turned his heart to serve other gods, right? That's what happened to Solomon in the end. Should, was not supposed to be. Certainly he didn't cultivate the marriage that he had with the first wife. That not necessary. Now listen, just because that was the custom doesn't mean that that was acceptable with God. Social norms just shows that social norms don't necessarily line up with the Word of God and are not necessarily acceptable by the Word of God. God never condoned it. One man, one woman for one lifetime. So their marriage had to be cultivated. Marriage has to be cultivated. What do you mean? Well, what do you do if you had a field or a garden? You've got to water it. <laughs> you know the old saying is, if the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, try watering yours. You might need to make an investment in yours. Cultivate your marriage. In other words, some of the things that you were doing when you were courting or dating or whatever word you want to put on it, some of those same things you're going to have to practice in the marriage, whether it be talking or listening or having a, if you will, quote, a date night, spending some time together. We'll talk about some of those things in detail down the road, but that's part of the investment that you're making in this marriage. Listen, they just don't happen. They don't happen any more than fields left to themselves produce the nicest corn or uh, peas or potatoes or, uh, uh, Brother Roger, was it, was it cotton that, 
that you had to cultivate or soybeans or whatever it was, probably all those things. That, you know, those nice stands of corn that were there, what we saw, those nice stands of corn in Pennsylvania, those just don't happen out in the field. No, somebody worked that thing. You've got to do that. It requires cultivation. So you've got to water it. That means you've got to nurture it. To nurture your marriage between the two of you. It's the little things that you do during the course of the day that you do over a period of time that add to the nurturing of your marriage. That, In other words, that you're going to enjoy coming home and she's going to look forward to you coming home. And not be like, okay kids, we've got to stop all this now because dad's coming. All right, you can't, nobody can smile or laugh anymore, dad's here. It ought not to be that way. Amen. Now, I don't think it has to be like, okay, all right, kids, get your face washed, get your baths. Everybody upstairs, you have to be quiet now. Dad's home. I, I don't think a father really wants that to be the case. I think, you know, he might want his kids to, to have a bath. You know, sons like Esau smell of the field when they've been playing all day. Amen. Little boys do. And, uh, and so... You know, but I'm sure he might want to tussle on the living room floor or do whatever or wrestle with them or tease them or pick at them or whatever that you all do. You know, Isaac sported with his wife. That doesn't mean he wasn't out there playing tennis. He was cutting up. There was picking going on. Brother Roger just likes to call it sarcasm. It was picking, teasing one another. And uh, it, it might be goosing them in the side or whatever, or just unusual things that you do and uh, that, that he or she particularly likes. Not everybody likes that kind of stuff. But at the same time, that you're enjoying each other's company, you're nurturing that time together. Listen, Debbie and I, we've talked about this. We thought, man, we, 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 she coined a phrase. She said, man, I like you being my QB. I said, QB, what's that? She said, uh, my quarantine buddy. <laughs> and, uh, and we do. And I said, well, I, I like, I've enjoyed it. I said, really, I don't feel any different. And you said, well, that's because you live in a tiny house. I, I, I understand that. We live in an RV, but we love it. Uh, a closeness doesn't bother me. I, we didn't get married so she could spend one part of the, one part of the house and me and the other. Maybe for you that's what works. I don't know. If that's, if that's what you've got to have, you need to do a little cultivating. Amen? It, it, not only needs, it not only needs water, but you've got to weed it. You've got to get the weeds out. What happens in a garden left to itself? Thorns and thistles it's going to bring forward. You've got to weed it. In other words, why do you weed? You remove things that deplete or take away from the potential. What do you do? A lot of you are getting ready to grow tomatoes. Maybe you've already got your plants in the ground. You've got seedlings going already. We're past Good Friday and all that kind of, all that kind of you know, uh, poor John's almanac or whatever the thing is called. I just know Ben Franklin wrote most of those things, <laughs> whatever. But uh, Maybe you've got all that stuff in the ground, but what do tomatoes put on? They put suckers on there. Don't y'all y'all know what I'm talking about? A sucker? It gets a little spot, puts a little sprout between that branch and the main stem. There's a little leaf in there. And what does that sucker do? That sucker just depletes the nutrition out of the soil, takes it away from the rest of the plant. You've got to pull the suckers off, don't you? You tomato growers out there? Because and well, some people say, well, suckers provide shade and all that kind of stuff. I just know that they get in the way. 
of producing fruit. That's weeding your garden. Sometimes you're going to have to look around and take a little inventory. Do we have some weeds in our relationship that need tending to? Look with me. You're right there in Ecclesiastes. Turn right. A correction. Turn left and look at Proverbs 24. Listen, in the book of Proverbs, if a house will fall through because of neglect, so will your marriage. Proverbs 24. We use this in the case of slothfulness, but I think it's appropriate here. Proverbs 24 and look in verse 30. The writer said, I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of a man void of understanding. So this guy had a field and a vineyard. It looked like two things that could produce a crop. Two things that had great potential. Two things that could have produced, that had value. But this person couldn't see the value in it and put, and put no effort into it. As a result, it wasn't living up to its potential. It wasn't meeting its potential. And if you want, if you want to make the comparison here, I think I can make the application. Hey, it wasn't having the joy. It wasn't having the laughter. It wasn't having the love. Maybe there wasn't the loyalty or whatever. I mean, the looking forward to coming home and the looking forward to having them home. Because there were some weeds in there that had grown up. Notice what it says, verse 31, And lo, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles, and had covered the face thereof, and the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. Have you ever seen a marriage that you said, Man, I know what I don't want to be like. Have you seen some men? I have. I've heard some men around the church. Now, it's not anybody here. But I've heard men around the church how some of them have talked to their wives. And I, I thought, Lord, that poor girl. And, I, and I'll tell you what I've said to myself. I wouldn't want that hairy-legged man coming up crawling around me. and Talk to me like that during the rest of the week. I'm just being honest. Just like I was talking to my own daughter and her husband, my son-in-law, or I was talking to one of you privately. I'm, I'm just being honest with you. I wouldn't want some, ooh, I wouldn't like that. You've got to keep it weeded if you want to reach the potential. If you know there's a problem, you can't neglect it. You've got to deal with it. Weeds don't go away by themselves. Well, they're going to die off. I haven't watered it in a while. The weeds are going to die. It's amazing. The fruit will die and the weeds will keep prospering. <laughs> That's Adam's fault. We'll talk about that with him when we get there too. Amen. Part of the curse. Thorns and thistles it will bring forward. But you've got to keep it weeded. And then you got to watch it. you got to watch over your garden. You, you say, what do you got to watch it for? Man, you got to watch out for the blight. What is blight? Blight is it can, can, it can get on a, on a tomato. Blight can get on some other things. It may, I mean, that means you got to take a little time to look at the leaves. you got to look at the fruit. Is it getting a black spot on it? Hey, you got to watch out for bugs. There are bugs that can get in there, things that are causing an irritation, things that want to eat away, the canker worm and so forth. In your marriage, you've got to watch out for birds. Birds want to steal the seed. I mean, just like how you would do with a garden that you were caring for, that you made an investment in, you're going to have to be a caretaker over your marriage. The two of you and the kids, should there be any, are worth it. 
It's like those nobles in the days of Nehemiah when the wall was being rebuilt. The nobles wanted to get somebody else to build their wall and Nehemiah went to him and said, listen, you got to fight for your family. you got to fight for your children. you got to get involved in this. you got to be involved. Listen to me, beloved. The world is not interested in you having a successful marriage. The world is not interested in you having a family where kids grow up to be productive citizens and not parasites in the world. And they're certainly not interested that they might have conservative or godly values. They're not going to help you. Oprah and Dr. Phil are not the final authority. You've got to learn to put the word of God above the words of men. And the words of any preacher. I've told people, listen, no priest, no preacher, no pope can take away your sin. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can remove sin. And only the Lord, as that, as that verse says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. If you, want, if you want God to be working, you're going to have to have Him in the midst of it. And you've got to do it His way. That means you've got to submit yourself to the Word of God and be the person that God intended you to be, to have a marriage as it was meant to be. So it requires cultivation. It requires uh, for you to know that it's a covenant, but it also requires commitment. Look in 1 Corinthians 7 with me. 1 Corinthians 7, turn right in your Bible. Gosh, I'm just giving you the introduction. I haven't actually got to point one yet. These are just some things that you got to have that you need to know if you're going to have a marriage. And I'm not trying to be long tonight because this is a series, Lord willing. And, uh, but 1 Corinthians 7, and look with me in verse 39. Notice what Paul said. Notice what it says, verse 39. It says, the wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. That means commitment. Commitment to that covenant. Commitment to the vows that you made. Commitment. What does that mean? That means that each person commits themselves to the other. That I am committed to you. Do you remember when, when those people came around the Lord Jesus and they were only interested in the miracles? They wanted to see more of the, you know, making, making two, uh, five loaves and two fishes feed all those people. They wanted to see that again. They only came because they were interested, if you will, in the supernatural, in the sensational. And the scripture says in, first John, or in the gospel of John in chapter 2 that he did not commit himself unto those people. They weren't really interested there. They weren't weren't considering the Lord Jesus because He was Savior and that they needed someone to save them from their sins. They just wanted to be entertained and He wouldn't commit Himself to them. But beloved, when you said, I do and I will to that young lady or that young man, you have made a commitment. God desires that you and I, if you will, I say, yea, He demands that you and I would fulfill our commitment and be committed to that relationship, committed to that other person, that I'm going to be here for you through the thick and the thin. What what do you say in your vows? For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. In the good times and in the bad. 
I don't know what tomorrow's going to hold, nor do you. No one listening knows what's going to be on tomorrow. Only God knows what's going to happen tomorrow. I just know this, our times are changing, are they not? They are. And we're having to adapt and stand and so forth and choose our battles biblically, right attitude and right spirit. There's a commitment. There's a commitment that we have made to God with our lives. We said, Lord, I'm a sinner. Please save me. I'll live for you. I've given my heart. I mean, people express it in different ways. I've given my life to the Lord. I've been bought with the price. I mean, all the little, all the little isms that you can say, all the little colloquialisms that we use to express of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But that we have given ourselves away. We acknowledge that we have been bought with the price. And therefore, we are to glorify God in our body and in our spirit, which are His. Amen? And, uh, and as a result, then we do our best to live that life practically what we have purposed, if you will, with our words and in our heart. Our direction, not perfection, if you will. Well, the same thing is to be true about our marriages, beloved. You are to be committed to that other person. Not to that person and somebody else. That's why we say, you know, in a, in a marriage, oftentimes, you know, that, that this is not 50-50. People say, well, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a partnership, therefore you've got to have that 50-50 proposition. I submit to you, no, it's 100% and 100%. Otherwise, you're giving 50% someplace else. It's got to be 100 and 100. That, that you are committed to this person, that you're going to be with this person, that you, that you are going to fulfill what you said you would do on the day you got married. That's why in this same chapter, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, this, Paul says earlier on, he said, defraud ye not one the other. Don't cheat the other person. Don't be less than what you said you were going to be. That's a defraudment. That's where God deals with that husband for dealing with his wife treacherously. It was all kissy face and huggy bear, lovey-dovey when you got married. And then suddenly, you know, the, the, the switch got switched, if you will, got flipped. And suddenly something else happened and now it's different at the house and it's different than what it is in public. It ought not to be that way. Committed to each other. Committed to that person. It means that each person commits themselves then to the well-being of the union. It means that you're working together, not working in opposition. You're pulling in the same direction. It's not a tug of war. As we get down the road, we'll, you know, we talk about ladies, about you know, you completing your husband. Together you about make a person. You're not competing with your husband for headship or leadership but that you're a complement to Him. You're an addition. You're, you're completing what God intended because without you, really, half a person. But you've committed them yourselves to the well-being of that other person and the well-being of your union. That means that like those nobles, you're willing to fight for your family. That means you're, you're committed to this. That means that you're willing to embrace. If there's a problem, if there's something that comes up, that you are willing to talk about it, to listen, to get help, to seek some counsel, to do what is necessary for those two things to work together. You know, I, I, grew, up, uh, I, I grew up in, a, in an environment where 
there was a lot of fighting and carrying on. There'd be voices in the night and doors would slam and cars would start. And then I wouldn't see, you know, typically it would be my dad would leave and uh, I wouldn't see him for two or three days or whatever, sometimes longer than that. I mean, he might drive by in front of the house. Uh, you know, when I was when I was on the ambulance, you know, you, when you're, as a medic, you have to carry an extra change of clothing with you. And I didn't have a permanent station, and so I just went from station to station when I was called into work. So instead of being able to hang my clothes up, additional clothes, at a, uh, at a station with a locker that was mine, I just kept him in my car. Well, one day my sister came over, was visiting, and she saw those clothes hanging up in, in the back of my car, and she said, oh, my gosh. And I said, what? And she goes, that looks just like Dad's car. He always kept his clothes hanging up the back of his car. Are you planning on leaving? <laughs> I said, no, you goofball. I said, I don't just want to have a station. I had to explain to her. She has black hair, but there's blonde roots, okay? And, uh, but that's how my dad lived. You know, he just kept those in because the fighting was that, that constant. And growing up, you know, I, I, I was sick all the time and um, couldn't keep anything down. I, I drank so much barium. Gosh, it's a wonder they don't have me in front of a pharmacy, you know, just as the poster boy for barium or whatever. You know, the fluoroscopes, you know, you would stand in front of this thing and it would exam- drink this and drink it. It was so nasty. Drink it and it would take a picture watching this thing go down like the Pepto-Bismol commercials. I could have made those. And, uh, and my point being, they, and all they said was, well, I have a nervous stomach. And really what it was, it was stress because of the home life. And so when we got married, you know, one of the things we talked about when we got married of the many things, we were not Christians, but I knew one thing. I, I didn't want to have the kind of home that I had come from. And I said, we're going to talk. I don't care if it's 3 o'clock in the morning. We're going to talk. We're going to get it settled. We're not going to have this. And I said, there won't be any locked doors. I'll just take it off the hinges. We're not doing that. Not sleeping on the couch. We're not doing that. Now, I'm not trying to be the hero of the illustration here. My point is, is that somewhere, you know, I, I, I was, because I knew that there was, uh, that's all I had ever seen was friction. I was anticipating that in my marriage. And bless her heart, Debbie came from, they never argued in front of the kids. So she never thought they ever had a disagreement. If they did it, they always disagreed in the bedroom out of earshot of the children. And then she couldn't figure out why I just couldn't get along with her, why we were not getting along. Two different worlds. But it takes commitment to that union. Commitment to it. And so I'm glad you're my QB. Amen. I hope you can say. I, I hope you can say that. I mean, and, and I'm going to say that he was even saved or lost. I hope. I hope that you have a good QB. You understand? And uh, and that's what God wants. So each person commits themselves to the well-being of the union. And then I think lastly tonight, each person commits themselves, if you will, to fulfill their individual roles as husband and wife. You're committed to the other person. You're committed to the well-being of your union. And then you are committed to the role that God intended for you, man or woman. Not switching roles, 
but committed to the roles that God intended for you to fulfill. If you're going to have a marriage as God meant it to be, then that's what it has to be. Two of anything is really going to be one too many. Listen, there was only one Moses, there was only one Abraham, there was only one Sarah, there was only one Jacob. You understand what I'm trying to say? There's, there's just one. Only one Elijah. You say, oh, there was Elisha. I know they sound alike, but they're not. They're, even their personalities were different. There was only one of each. But committing to fill, fulfill the individual roles by the grace of God. And beloved, it will take the grace of God. Just as Paul told Timothy, uh, Thou son, be strong in the grace that is in the Lord Jesus. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might in Ephesians. But in 2 Timothy, he talks about being strong in the grace of God. And you're going to have to have that. Listen, listen, beloved, tonight. And those of you at home, listen. Your relationship with God is paramount. Your relationship with the Holy Spirit is imperative. In other words, I, I've, I, have, I have counseled many couples, some of them saved and some not, some who needed to be saved. And I have told them, none of the things that I've put down on paper are going to work because marriage is not so much marrying the right person as it is being the right person. And only, only salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, only the indwelling and power of the Holy Spirit can help you to be the person that God wants you to be. You're not going to do it. Good looks and good intentions, good chemistry or whatever is not enough. Big bank accounts. Listen, do you, do you know that... I mean, I've, I've seen some beautiful homes and so forth traveling around and, and all I can tell you is, you know, they got trouble by the square foot. They might have the biggest picture windows and they might, you know, they got video rooms and sound rooms in places of backyards, in place of backyards, and they got this and they got that and chandeliers and all kinds of tile and stuff, but they couldn't get along in that house. And somebody wanting to kill themselves or somebody threatening to kill them. I mean, I made a guy one time, he was out in his front yard with an AR. And uh, he was wanting to kill his wife, and we, we got to him, and, and uh, we asked him, he said, you know, we're going to have a little evaluation. The law enforcement already had taken the AR from him. And they said, are you going to behave yourself in the back of the ambulance? He said, oh, I love firing policemen. He said, it was just my wife I wanted to kill. I mean, as a matter of fact about it, he behaved himself the whole way. We talked, cut up. I just tried to keep him chilled. I'm just saying. It takes more than what you read in a novel. It takes more than what comes on the Hallmark Channel. It takes the Spirit of God working in the hearts of two believers who have committed themselves to the Lord and to each other. And you can have the marriage that God intended for you to have. But you know, in the ministry... And, and really, and even just amongst brothers and sisters, and I'm talking about brothers and sisters in the Lord, it's a shame when other people care more about your marriage than what you do. It ought not to be so. And we try to prop you up and provoke you and help you do whatever, but you've got to listen to counsel. Sometimes people say, I want help, but really they, they want somebody to fix the other person when they're the ones that need fixing. 
That's how God does that. You want him to fix, you know, if you're praying, Lord, please help my spouse, help my mate or whatever, God will start with you. If you'll clear this up, if you'll, if you'll do a little weeding out there, if you'll weed some of this out of your life, maybe she wouldn't be that way. Lord willing, next week we're going to talk about husbands, the roles that you fulfill, men. And eventually, ladies, we're going to get to you, the roles that you fulfill. It does make a difference and you can have the marriage where you live joyfully with the wife of your youth. I, I want you to be happy. I want you to be satisfied. And God wants you to be happy. He wants to bless your home. And man, have those kids. Listen, the, the world in which young people grow up today, they don't really know what a normal relationship is. I mean, they got books in libraries now about two men. I mean, even they even got to the Muppets, you know, Ernie and his buddy. I mean, I don't even know what the other guy's name is. But they got two of them. Listen, sodomy is not the normal wife. It's not the marriage that God meant it to be. And you say, well, you know, I've got friends. That I well, I, you know, I, I know that, I, I, listen, I try to witness to them and do, do what I can to give them the gospel. I've spoken with many. There are many in the medical profession. But we don't go and hang out together. It's not that I don't care about them. I just don't want them to confuse that for me condoning what they're doing. Have the marriage. You can have the marriage that God wants you to have and enjoy your QB. Amen? All right, let's stand. Father, I sure do thank you for the Word of God. I thank you for my dear wife. I thank you for the couples, Lord, that are present here and present at home. God, I pray you'll bless them. I do pray, Father, as they draw nigh to you, Lord, they would draw nigh to each other. They would reinforce some things, do that weeding and watering and watching over their marriage and their spouse. Not with a critical eye, but God with a loving, forgiving and helpful eye to do what they can do to see things improve in their home. I pray you'll bless them now, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.